Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, we speak with the co-director of America Saves Week for the Consumer Federation of America about how to start making a plan for better financial health, no matter your starting point. Also this morning, as the international situation in Ukraine continues to devolve, independent Eastern European war correspondent and author Shandor Yasperensky takes us inside the mindset of the Ukrainian people in the wake of an uncertain future. And we have information on upcoming activities and programs for the month of March at the Findlay Hancock County Public Library. Director Sarah Clevidence will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022. Today is Curling is Cool Day. I know the ratings for the Olympics were down, but did you watch any of the curling competition? That's always fun. Uh, because what's what's the most fun about watching curling, especially the Olympics, is these are athletes that are the antithesis of what we think of when we picture Olympic athletes in our minds. <laughs> they look they look like anything but Olympic athletes, uh, the uh, curlers. But they're good at it, uh, no question. Curling is cool day. International Dog Biscuit Appreciation Day today. National Dog Biscuit Appreciation Day. Interesting. National Banana Bread Day, Play Tennis Day, and National Tile Day today. So there you go. Reasons to celebrate if you need a reason to celebrate. You remember yesterday was the uh, the big day. It was uh, 2-22-22, the Palindrome Day. Um, all twos, everybody made a big deal about this. Well, one lucky set of parents welcomed in a bouncing new baby with a historic birth. Uh, Aberly and Hank Spear of North Carolina welcomed their daughter, Judah Grace, at 2.22 a.m. yesterday, February 22nd. So, born at 2.22 on 2-22-22. That's pretty... And 2-22 and a.m. So even in military time, it's all twos right across the board. That's pretty pretty cool. Judah Grace going to have a story to tell for her lifetime. Uh, the next time... The next time we get a palindrome date would uh, be in the year 24 22 and the next time says the next time this will occur on this date won't be until twenty four twenty two. Year twenty wouldn't it be twenty one twenty two? Wouldn't that be uh two twenty two twenty two as well? I don't. Anyway, it says twenty four twenty two here. I I'm just I didn't pre read that to figure that out. But anyway, hospital staff uh, celebrated uh, little Judah Grace's birth by giving her a special hat with two bows on it. So there we go. Uh, the only thing that would have made that story better is if, uh, if they were twins. <laughs> anyway, speaking of uh, of birthdays, this is kind of cool. I see if you can relate to the. I, you can certainly relate to this as a parent, but would you go to this extreme when uh, Siebert Klefsus turned eighteen on Saturday? He got more than just your regular gifts for his eighteenth birthday. He also got $1,800 from his mom 
This after he lived up to a pledge that he had made six years earlier to stay off social media. Back in 2016, when Siebert was 12, his mom, Lorna Goldstrand, challenged him to stay off social media until he was 18. So he's 12. She sat him down and said, stay off social media until you're 18. And she said, if you can do that, I will give you $1,800 on your 18th birthday if you live up to that pledge. Uh, He said it wasn't really that hard to not be on social media. Uh, Particularly since, as a 12-year-old, he wasn't using it a whole lot anyway. And so you can't miss what you never had. He just never got into it. Friends, he said, kept him up to date on the latest info and trends and all of that. And he says, I got to avoid all of the unnecessary drama that was on social media. His mom said not being on social media uh, gave her son more time to focus on his grades and on sports and all of those things we want kids to be involved in. He said he will likely use the $1,800 to buy something for his dorm room at uh, the University of Northwestern St. Paul, where he will be attending in the fall. In the fall. As for social media, uh, now that he's 18, he's free to try it. He says the first thing that he wants to try is Instagram. And uh, his mom said that she's fine with that because at 18, she believes her son has a different perspective on social media than he would have when he was in his younger teen years. She said it is not a, a case of us being against social media, but just the healthy use of it. It's not about letting yourself getting weighed down by it or addicted to it or letting it affect, uh, letting the things that people post affect you in, in your life. So I don't know, kind of clever cost her 1800 bucks, but was it worth it? I would, I would think that there are a lot of parents who say, yeah. And so maybe there's an, an idea there. Uh, our parents, you sit your kids down when they're 12 years old, say, stay off of it. And then when you're 18, have at it. I don't know. It worked for her. That's. Uh, let's see. A couple of other uh, stories here among the first things that you need to know. The most buzzworthy stories of the day. Oh, this was kind of interesting. Uh, Dog Biscuit Appreciation Day. I mentioned that. And uh, I saw a story. This is kind of interesting. The average pet owner catches their animal eating something they shouldn't about four times a day. Uh, A new poll finds 61% of dog and cat owners have lost sleep over the thought of their pet eating something that they shouldn't. Hmm. That's kind of interesting. Um, The uh, poll also... Uh, Paul also explored the lengths that pet owners will go to manage what makes it into their furry friends' bellies. Almost three quarters of uh, those in the poll read the reviews of a product before giving it to their pets. 39% go so far as to test the product on themselves first. (laughs) Food and treats being the most common things that pet owners... It says in the poll, will actually taste first. 56% of pet owners taste their food, their pet's food, before they give it to their pet. 53% taste their pet's treats before. No. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be a guinea pig for my dog. Um, 
53% said that they do it out of curiosity. 29% admit that the product actually tasted good to them. So, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, goodness. <clears throat> this is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, I just swallowed wrong. Um, this is an interesting uh, story. Uh being happy, apparently, is not all it takes to be happy. Uh, this is research out of uh, Tilburg University. Finds that living in a place that gives you access to fulfill all of your basic needs, as well as the time and space to pursue your passions and raise a family healthily, healthy, raise a healthy family, would generally be considered a good thing, right? If you uh, live someplace and it, uh, that was, you had all access to everything that you need, uh, you had plenty of time to pursue your, your passions, raise a healthy family. That'd be a good thing. But a new study finds feeling pressure to be happy can actually make people feel worse. Researchers found people living in uh, places with the highest scores on the World Happiness Report actually report significant pressure to feel happy. And most of them ended up having poorer overall emotional well-being. <laughs> so being happy isn't all it's cracked up to be, as it turns out. The uh, author of the study says the level of happiness individuals feel pressured to achieve may be unattainable and reveal differences between an individual's emotional life and the emotions society approves of. The uh, discrepancy between an individual's happiness and a group's happiness in general may create a perceived failure that can trigger negative emotions. It goes on to say in countries where citizens appear to be happy, deviations from the expected norm are likely more apparent, which makes it more distressing. So, and long and short of it, uh, the pressure to be happy can make you unhappy. Wow, that's just mind-blown when you think about that. And in happy countries, the idea of happy places people live, that people aren't happy in those happy places, whew, man, that's a lot to wrap your mind around in the morning, isn't it? strange and here is a similar <laughs> a similar story that i had to actually chuckle at when i uh saw it says uh, do you have math anxiety math anxiety you are not alone a new survey out of the uk <laughs> shows 40 percent of people are not comfortable working with numbers <laughs> i just thought it was funny that they said 40 percent of people <laughs> aren't comfortable working with numbers <laughs> Um, this is a a survey finds that one in five will avoid jobs that involve frequent use of numbers and figures. However, just avoiding them from nine to five will not help you when it comes to budgeting, insurance, other aspects of adulting. 71% in the survey say the numbers used for insurance and long-term savings documents are too confusing. And, uh. 30% of people would welcome more practice using numbers. 37% say they wish there were better tools online to help them figure out such figures and gain more confidence in their math skills. Those are a lot of numbers to tell us that people don't like numbers. (laughs) That was kind of funny in that regard. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. The first things you need to know to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly cloudy skies today with a high of 33. Cloudy tonight, a chance of a snow shower, a low of 23. 
Authorities arrested two people as they raided a Finley residence in connection with a drug trafficking investigation. The drug task force says they found a large amount of methamphetamine as well as fentanyl powder and MDMA powder inside an apartment on Kirkwood Court. Also recovered from the apartment was cash, items indicative of drug trafficking, and a loaded gun with an altered serial number. A 29-year-old man and a 22-year-old woman were arrested and booked at the Hancock County Jail. Hancock County health officials are reporting an increase in suspected overdose fatalities. Hancock Public Health says there have been four so far this year, with two occurring just last weekend. Hancock Public Health reminds people that they have the overdose-reversing medication Narcan available. It looks pretty clear to us that the more Narcan kits we get out there in the hands of folks who may potentially overdose, the less fatal overdoses we're going to have. The agency's Gary Bright says people who get revived by the medication will then have a chance to get into treatment and on a path to recovery. Get more on the website. COVID cases continue to decline across Ohio. Dr. Joseph Gastaldo is with Ohio Health. In the state of Ohio, our seven-day moving average is about 1,800, and that's about where we were at the beginning of the Delta surge in the late summer of 2021. So yeah, cases are coming down, and if you look at the modeling, uh, cases will continue to come down, as will hospitalizations. He says 3% of the population, which has a weakened immune system, can now get a second booster shot. Governor DeWine is expected to sign a bill making it unlawful to prevent the wearing of religious apparel during school sports competitions. Senate Bill 181 would make it against the law for an athletic association, school, or school district to forbid the wearing of religious apparel except when deemed dangerous. The bill's sponsor says the bill has overwhelming support from the Christian, Jewish, and Muslim communities. Previously, a student-athlete had to acquire permission to wear religious apparel or face disqualification. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. You know, as we mentioned yesterday, this is America Saves Week, which started 15 years ago as an initiative of the Consumer Federation of America to raise awareness about the importance of good financial habits and basic financial planning. To learn more, we go straight to the source this morning. Kia McAllister Young is co-director of America Saves. As we mentioned, Kia is something of a milestone anniversary for this initiative. So I want to ask you about kind of the progress we have made uh, as you see it, because it seems like uh, awareness is certainly high, but maybe action is where we still need some improvement. Where are we now collectively as compared to 15 years ago when you started this initiative? Yeah, I think there is a, an an increased level of awareness. But as you know, when it comes to finances, it's always a cycle, right? So even 15 years ago, um, we were in a specific place and we never could have imagined going through a pandemic and what we've experienced for the last two years. So um, even just in the last couple of years, people have a new commitment to making sure that they are more prepared for situations that can arise that are even beyond their imagination, which is where we kind of find ourselves right now. Yeah, you mentioned everything has been upended by the pandemic over the past couple of years. Our spending has changed. For many, our income has changed. The data kind of suggests that people were saving more at the height of the lockdown, partially maybe out of fear and partially because there just weren't as many places to, to go out and spend that money. But now there is this pent-up demand for stuff and for travel and all of that. 
So with the circumstances that we find ourselves in at this moment in time, what challenges has all of that presented to you as part of this movement? Yeah, I think the challenge is to meet people where they are. Um, people have experienced this pandemic very differently. Um, we actually found from a lot of our savers just by talking to them that a lot of them fit into three categories. The first one was that they had no savings to begin with and then they lost a job or lost income and were even more, more vulnerable than they already were. Then there was another category of, of savers who had savings but we're having to spend it down because of, again, job loss or reduction of income. Mm-hmm. And so they watch those savings dwindle and it kind of scares them. And then we had a third group who actually made more money during the pandemic than they were they had prior to, whether that was from an unemployment or maybe their business took off or um, the stimulus helped them quite a bit. And so the challenge has been being able to uh, serve the people, the individuals, the everyday Americans um, with information that actually resonates with them that they can actually use and to, you know, kind of reach all those different categories and experiences. The one that I think is the most interesting are those who, like you said, maybe had savings, had made a concerted effort over the uh, previous uh, years to build up that that nest egg or that emergency fund or what have you, and then had to spend it all down and now find themselves right back where they started, uh, you know, before all of this began. Um, so what specifically do you say to those individuals who may be looking around saying, man, now I've got to start over from scratch? The first thing that we told them was, "This was the don't feel bad. This is the emergency that you've been saving for." Yeah. So it was actually something to celebrate, right? That they had, were in a place where they had some of those savings that was more than quite a few um, people had. And the second thing was, especially if they already followed America Save, they already had automatic savings set up. So even though they were spending it down, they were still saving at the same time because. You have that automatic savings every time you get paid. Um, either you have split deposit where some is going directly into savings or you have an auto transfer set up with your bank. And so you already have built the habit of savings. You've done it once and you can definitely do it again. Yeah. Um, and so it was just celebrating the fact that they already, you know, they had already done the work. And they were already set up for success by having that automatic savings set up. Yeah, we mentioned the other day the importance of paying yourself first, right on payday, before mm-hmm. you even get the chance to uh, to spend it somewhere else. So very important. And if you haven't already done that, or you stop doing that, now's the time to get back into that habit. I, I wonder if there is a socioeconomic aspect to this as well. And by by that, I mean, the other day I saw a piece uh, comparing household income and expenses today to the 1970s when we last saw really high persistent inflation. When you look at household income then against the cost of everything from groceries to gas to housing and then compare that to today, it's the income side of the equation that is not kept up. And so it's really not a surprise that many people are having a hard time saving when more of their income is being eaten up by those everyday expenses. So is that maybe part of the larger conversation that needs to be had? It definitely is. I mean, we've been talking about um, inflation ourselves because it does. It has, it has changed the power of our dollar, correct? 
Um, but I think that the thing to keep in mind that a lot of people forget when it comes to saving is that if you are in, in a situation where you can, there's always a way or there could be a way where you can add additional income to your household. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think right now, while we're experiencing this inflation, it's been a go-to for a lot of people um, that are able to, because obviously we have some people that have disabilities and they don't have um, the, the same ability to. But if you have the ability to do that, mm-hmm. you might want to consider um, for a short, short term either selling things around your house that you're not using um, if you have a specific talent, um, maybe you're a great baker or you make great jewelry. Um, or if you, again, are able-bodied and can take advantage of the gig economy with um, DoorDash and, and Instacart and all these different things that mm-hmm. weren't necessarily available 15 years ago or not utilized at the rate they are now. Yeah. Where you can have an additional cash injection even for a short period of time, could help you with with saving. It is certainly a good point that uh, a side hustle, so-called side hustle, is a lot easier to to do now than uh, ever before. So let's kind of talk a little bit about messaging of uh, America Saves Week on the subject of awareness or financial literacy. As we were mentioning, uh, we know the basic message, savings good, debt bad. But when you get into the the details a little bit, what do people still need to know and understand? I whenever I'm posed with this question, I actually like to talk about it from the perspective of what do financial experts and gurus need to understand versus what the saver needs to understand. Um, the message that our savers are hearing is, oh, you have, in order to be successful, you have to have three to nine months of your expenses saved. Mm-hmm. Well, the truth is there are so many of us that aren't even earning a fair living wage right now where that's just not reality for a lot of us. And even if it is, reality is very overwhelming. So I think when it comes to messaging, the message that people need to hear is to start small and think big, especially if you're just starting out saving. So, you know, instead of that three to nine months of saving um, expenses saved up, try saving $500. Set your, set, set your automatic savings up so that you are putting aside whether it's $10 a week or, or $20 a paycheck. And strive for that first $500 because the average emergency is actually around $400. Hmm. So if you save for that $500, you're already in a better place when an emergency arises. But once you've hit that first milestone, you feel really good about yourself and you can keep going. Um, So I think the messaging needs to be more relatable to actual everyday Americans and individuals and what we're all experiencing instead of the messaging that we've been hearing, which is, like you said, um, debt bad, savings good. Yeah. It's just not that simple. You call it doing a gut check on your finances and your personal behaviors. So what are the action steps uh, to to doing that? You know, once you've you know made that uh, sort of gut check, that analysis, if you will, what are the action steps? Mm-hmm. Yeah, making sure you have automatic savings set up. That's the first step. Um, knowing what you're saving for. So making sure that you're very clear on the things that are important to you and your family and that you've got a clear view of your finances. We have a spending and savings tool that we use. We don't call it a budget, but most people would call it a budget to be sure that you're stewarding your money exactly where you need it to go based on your goals. Um, And I think that's the the most important step to walk away this week, knowing exactly what you're saving for um, and knowing exactly how much is coming in, 
how much is going out and where you need to maybe shore up some places, some things that you can take away or reduce. Um, yeah. in order to make sure that you're saving for what you need. That uh, saving for a goal is, any, whatever the goal is, I, I think maybe the goal itself is less important than having a goal. What the goal is is less important than having a goal because it's like anything. Uh, if you have a goal, it makes it easier to take the steps necessary to reach that goal. Uh, Kia McAllister Young is co-director of America Saves. We mentioned America Saves Week all week long, and you've got more information on your website, right? We do. You can just go to americasaves.org. Kia, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, of course, we have all been watching the devolving situation on the Ukrainian border, especially over the past couple of weeks. And to this point, we really haven't talked much about it because I haven't really had a whole lot to add to the conversation. But we do this morning. Uh, Shandor Yasbereni is editor-in-chief of The Continental, which is a new quarterly literary magazine designed to introduce exceptional Central European literature to American readership. And I want to Talk more about that because I find it uh, to be a, a fascinating project. But uh, Shander, first off, you recently returned from Kiev, I'm told. Now, as we're recording this interview, there are reports that Russian troops have moved into the disputed eastern regions of Ukraine, but as yet have not launched uh, like what we would consider an all-out invasion. We've heard that to this point, most people in Ukraine are concerned. They're paying attention to what's going along uh, going on uh, along their border, but they're going about their daily lives for the most part. Is that what you've seen? And how and when is that likely to change? Well, you know that uh, the Ukrainians, if you if you have a glance at Kiev. You don't really see mobilization. You don't see, you know, checkpoints and things like that, which is quite common in a in a conflict. What what you see is like people are lining up to 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 have some military training if it comes to protecting their homes. So I see I, I saw senior gentlemen and elderly ladies uh, having a, a training to deal with uh, assault rifles and. But, I mean, normally people are tending to their businesses and, you know, waiting. But if you go into any public space, if you go to a cafe, if you go to a, a bar, then, you know, the discussion is ruled by the possibility of war. Mm. And people are really much frightened. You know, the the thing is, it's like Russia is moving into eastern Ukraine. They are having a military operation right now. We don't know what is exactly the aim of 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 the uh, operation, but mm-hmm. you know this is really scary not just for Ukrainians but for all the Europeans that actually we we are seeing uh, full blown invasion force at the borders of a country. We haven't seen such sights since the Second World War. Yeah, and you know this is really troubling and. The problem is even, I mean, there are plenty of uh, military, military uh, officers I talked to from the Ukrainian army, and all of them told me that, you know, there's no chance to, to stop if there's a full-blown Russian, full-scale Russian invasion, because they can take the city, the capital, in two days. And, and the, the other part of it, we don't, know, we don't know how all of this ends. It's interesting, you mentioned this is of concern, not just for Ukraine, but all of Europe. Uh, is this a case where 
things will never be the same regardless uh, of the outcome. I mean, talk a little bit about what happens moving forward, not just for Ukraine, but all of Europe being concerned about this. Well, actually, you know, the thing is, it's like Europe is pretty much in the hands of Russia when it comes to energy. We are getting the gas from Russia to uh, fuel or power plants. And the thing is, because of the energy crisis happening all around the world, the prices of gas, natural gas, is already skyrocketed, which is like, you know, paying for President Putin's war at, at the border right now. But the thing is, it's like, what is really scary, especially for political analysts, is uh, it seems like that, you know, there's a, uh, an intent on the Russian uh, political elite to restore the former glory of the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. which includes, you know, territories, not just Ukraine, but the Baltics, and even uh, NATO member countries like Hungary, like uh, part of Poland, Lithuania, name it. So, so the question is, will the Russians stop at Ukraine? And if they not, who is going to stop them if the U.S. is paying attention to the Asian threat developing in the, in the past? I think, and this is what I had uh, discussed with several colleagues of mine, uh, Putin's uh, experts realize that the U.S. is focusing its shift of uh, attention towards the a Asia and pretty much leaving Europe uh, alone. And, you know, we have this awful joke uh, amongst each other that, you know, where can we stop the Russians without the help of the U.S.? Well, we can stop them at Berlin because they have to refill somewhere. Hmm. Uh, pretty dramatic stuff. So let me, that kind of leads us into this new literary review, as we mentioned, uh, that is launch, uh, launching. Tell us about The Continental, your vision for this magazine, and why it is needed, especially at this moment in time. Well, you know, the, the basic idea of The Continental magazine is to create a bridge between the two sides of the Pacific uh, to create dialogue between Central Europe and America. Uh, I think uh, it is the time now because because we have, I mean, you know, thanks to social media and thanks to the recent developments, is people are now living in, in opinion bubbles. And what the, there's not real uh, debate or there's no discussion, real discussion anymore. And I, I think uh, Central European literature and arts are very much... Uh, have plenty to offer, but don't forget that this is not just a Central European literary magazine published in the US. It is an American literary magazine with American authors, and the main intention is to put them into discussion with each other. So we are very much looking forward to 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 have American writers, and we always. I mean, this is our uh, the content literary magazine is a is a quarterly. Every uh, every issue is revolving around the theme. The first issue is themed about prejudice, so. The content of the magazine is always aiming to to pay attention and uh, focus on pressing social issues like you know prejudice and race. We have uh, Professor Noam Chomsky giving us a really great insight of how the co the, the social construct race evolved in time and how it changed how it changed so many times in history hmm. to serve the oppressors. I mean those who are uh, had powers needed is we have rocks and gain or issue we have a topic following just to name a few of our great authors and plenty of brilliant central european authors in the best translation available so 
I think this is actually can create a buzz here, and we, we, you are already through with the, the the official launch party of the content magazine here in New York. We we see that actually American writers, American intellectuals are very much keen and interested in 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 getting involved in the magazine. And this is the aim. We are not an exclusive magazine. We are an inclusive magazine, and our sole aim is to create the discussion of arts, social issues, philosophy within the Central European nations and mm. the U.S. and North America. Fascinating stuff. I, I'm curious. You yourself are an author and a war correspondent. How has one affected the other with respect to your writings? Well, you know, the thing is, like, I, I always say that, you know, I'm a traveling salesman of uh, pain and misery as a war correspondent. <laughs> mm. uh, you know, I'm doing this job for 15 years now. Uh, I've, I've covered the whole Arab Spring. I covered Libya, Syria, Iraq, mm. uh, Nigeria, Ukraine. And the thing is, it's like, you know, sometimes I feel like life has no meaning. So, so I turn to... To, to writing, not just because I wanted to write down that, you know, the, the, all the traumas and things like that, but with the intention to fix it. Mm. So it's like, you know, if you compare my writing to life, my writing has meaning, mm. for sure. Art is a relief to the soul. There are so many people are looking for some kind of relief. You know, it's like, we, while we're speaking, my editors are putting together uh, a selection of Ukrainian contemporary poetry in English on a website. And it is fascinating how art thrives under harsh conditions, like you know, a coming of a war. Yeah, it it it, it has a really uh, it has an impact. We uh, we have to stop you there because I'm absolutely out of time. Fascinating conversation, Shandor Yasmarenyi, again, uh, editor in chief of the Continental. We'll link up to it on our webpage so folks can learn more about the magazine. Shandor, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. It was my pleasure. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. <laughs> this is why in many college colleges and universities, they don't allow uh, cooking appliances in dorm rooms. A Brigham Young University student was caught brewing homemade rocket fuel on a dormitory stove when the concoction suddenly exploded in a massive fireball, according to campus police. (laughs) Who couldn't have seen that coming? The blast from the experiment gone wrong set off fire alarms and sprinklers at Heritage Hall around 4.30 on Sunday afternoon, flooding parts of the building. Uh, Campus police and Provo Fire Department responded. The flames from the explosion had engulfed the walls and ceiling around the stove, and the intense heat tripped the fire sprinkler system. Uh, Firefighters quickly secured the scene and were able to put out the remnants of the fire. Uh, Police said no one was injured in the explosion, thank goodness, but 22 dorm residents were displaced. (laughs) Police said the building suffered extensive damage. Brewing homemade rocket fuel in your dorm room. <laughs> oh, see, this is why we can't have nice things in dorms. That's why <laughs> somebody, somebody will brew up homemade rocket fuel in their dorm room. All righty then. Here's a story out of Florida. We always have, have to have something out of Florida. This is from uh, St. Pete. Uh, from St. Pete Beach uh, happened early Friday morning. A woman 
went into the restroom at the beach lounge and emerged completely naked. (laughs) This happened after the manager at the restaurant refused to serve uh, the woman because she was intoxicated. Police say when they arrived at the bar, uh, Kelly Elkins, age 49, was still naked and refused to get dressed when they told her to. She eventually put on a hoodie but refused to zip it and told police she was too tired to put on her pants. (laughs) She was too tired to put on her pants. By the way, did I mention she was an uh, she's an attorney <laughs> at St. Petersburg? She's a local attorney. Mm. She'll be representing herself. I don't know. Anyway, she's charged with disorderly conduct. Thirty-six-year-old um, Kyle Coleman is under arrest in uh, Jasper, Indiana. Apparently, uh, he. Apparently, he uh, was caught on surveillance uh, entering uh, somebody else's home early Monday morning and taking several things from the home, including a firearm, while wearing a gorilla mask. While wearing a gorilla mask. Apparently, it wasn't a... I don't know if somebody recognized the mask. Maybe it was a neighbor's home and (laughs) he knew that this guy has a gorilla mask. You would think that that would be... I mean, robbers typically do try to keep their identity a secret, but it didn't work for uh, Mr. Coleman. Police got a warrant and found the stolen items and the gorilla mask at his home. They also found uh, marijuana. He is now facing several charges. (laughs) Wearing a gorilla. Who is this person in a gorilla mask? Hey, wait a minute. I recognize him. Firefighters in New Jersey recently uh, were called to an unusual rescue. I mean... You know, you get cats out of trees or uh, the other day we had a story about a pet parrot who was like uh, on somebody's roof or up a treetop, like 60 feet in the air, whatever. Um, In uh, New Jersey, fire officials were called, uh, responded to a home in uh, Bergen County on Sunday uh, to rescue a dog from the roof of a home. A dog from the roof. Apparently, he had knocked out an air conditioning unit out of a second-story window and climbed out and somehow got onto the roof of the home. (laughs) I didn't know dogs could do that. Dogs generally don't climb very well. Police uh, contacted the uh, fire department for assistance. Uh, Video shows rescuers using a ladder truck to approach the friendly dog and bring it back down to safety. Uh, all's well that ends well, but that's kind of weird. Dog on the roof. That's not a call you get all the time. Uh, so we had the uh, story of the uh, lawyer in Oklahoma, uh, or the lawyer in Florida. Here's a story from a, a woman in Oklahoma who has apologized after she recently became intoxicated at a middle school girl's sleepover. <laughs> became intoxicated at a middle school girl's sleepover. Berated some of the kids and then threw up in a hamper. Uh, Abby Broyles, who is an attorney herself, uh, tells local news reporters that uh, she had a bad reaction after drinking wine and taking sleep medication. <laughs> she didn't remember anything until she woke up vomiting into the hammer. hamper. <laughs> she said she was invited to the sleepover by a good friend who is the mother of one of the girls. <laughs> Parents, 
And at least one of the girls has also claimed that Ms. Broyles uh, used profanity and berated several of the girls commenting on one girl's uh, skin condition and another's ethnicity. Uh, she says she doesn't believe she would have done those things. She says, that's not who I am. Um, but uh, that's the uh, accusation. By the way, I should mention that uh, Ms. Broyles is running for a seat in the Oklahoma State Legislature. <laughs> That's probably not going to uh, help her chances of getting elected, I wouldn't think. That's get drunk, start berating middle school girls at a sleepover, end up vomiting into a hamper. Yeah, That's probably not a good look for a candidate. She has no, no plans to drop out of the race, though, she says. <laughs> And finally, she may not have a choice in the matter, actually, when you think about it. And finally, in the broken news, uh, a man in Illinois, uh, Arlington Heights, Illinois, has been reunited with his wedding ring thanks to a broken water main. Apparently, the uh, crew chief, the public works, works department, was repairing a burst water main when he looked down and found a gold wedding band on the ground. Um, the village of Arlington Heights then posted photos of the ring online to find the rightful owner. The man who came forward and claimed the ring <laughs> said uh, it was his second time that someone found his lost wedding ring. The last time it was a garbage man. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> is this maybe he's trying maybe he's trying to tell you something. This <laughs> what did you think of this guy's if you're the wife of this guy? Seems like you're just trying to lose the wedding ring. Uh, there you go. Uh, that is, it's got a lot of explaining to do. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. The pandemic outlook is improving across the country, and health officials are cautiously optimistic about the downward trend in Omicron cases. A number of states and large private businesses have announced a reduction or dropping of mitigation measures. We all share the same goal, to get to the point where COVID is no longer disrupting our daily lives. Here at WFIN, we'll continue to pass along the latest information so you can stay informed. 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Do you feel lost if you don't have your phone in your hand? Uh, a lot of people uh, feel that way. A new survey of 2,000 smartphone users uh, finds 7 in 10 say that they have done that at one point, left the house without their phone, usually by accident. And 6 in 10 say that they could not cope if they were separated from their smartphone for more than a day. They just could not cope. We've all done it. We've all forgotten it at one time or another, but we just could not cope if we uh, were stuck without our smartphone for 24 hours or more. Um, and that is because we are completely dependent on it. It's not a, it's not a social media withdrawal or uh, something like that. The fear of missing out because we uh, aren't constantly connected It's not so much that it's because we are completely dependent on our device for everyday help. Uh, 68% say they rely on their phones to take photos. No big surprise. There 64% use it to check the time. 
62% are constantly looking up weather forecasts, they say. They just have to know what the weather is going to do next. That's something we are obsessed with. But I found this really interesting. 13% of those in this survey confess that they can't even find their way to work without a phone showing them a map. Really? You couldn't find your way to work? (laughs) without a map on your phone now when traveling 27 percent admit that they would be completely reliant on their smartphone for directions and i would actually be among that group if i'm someplace that i'm unfamiliar with i gotta have you know my phone tell me how to get around google maps and and all of that is a lifeline but this was interesting one in three but i i don't know that 13 percent that couldn't find their way to work without a map on their phone is just uh, is just crazy and just to demonstrate how reliant we have become on our devices to get us where we need to be one in three americans in the survey 2000 smartphone users one in three say that they have never used a printed map in their entire life never used a printed map in their entire life Uh, i can't say that it's been a long time since i've relied on a printed map but i can't say that i have never but you think about that i mean you know smartphones have been around for uh, a while now we've had google maps and and all of that for what better part of uh, 20 years and so i would imagine yeah there are probably a lot of young people who have never used a printed map Well, March is Community Read Month, and with information on everything surrounding this year's Community Read program, Joel Manti is with us from the Finley Hancock County Public Library. He is Adult Services Manager, and Joel, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. First of all, I, I have to apologize because I think uh, earlier we mentioned that we we're going to uh, talk with uh, uh, Sarah Clevidence uh, there at the uh, library, and uh, not that we don't like uh, having uh, Sarah on the uh, program. It's always nice to uh, to have Joel Manti with us uh, this morning. So, uh, Joel, thank you very much for uh, taking the time. Tell us a little bit about the uh, Community Read uh, book selection this year. Sure. So this year's selection is by Sadiqa Johnson. Uh, it's going to be March 29th out at MCPA. Um, the book is Yellow Wife. Um, it's about a young, uh, light-skinned black woman uh, born in uh, Virginia. Um, she's been she lived sort of a sheltered life, uh, early stages, um, that she might be the, the master's daughter, but then things go wrong, and she, uh, she'd been promised that she'd been be freed at, at her 18th birthday, but then uh, things change, hmm. and she gets uh, moved on to the bowels of slavery in the infamous Devil's Half Acre in Richmond, Virginia. Um, there, that's where slaves are broken and tortured and sold every day. Um, she's gets uh, noticed by the jailer um, and gets pulled away a little bit from that uh, end of things at the jail, uh, but then is is in the in the jailer's house and um, forced to come to uh, come to grips with his contradictions of cruelty and, and soft naturedness a little bit, um, but how mm-hmm. she can go about to try and outwit him and, and hopefully find a, a happy resolution. Maybe mm-hmm. um, it, it's a, it's a really interesting read an interesting time period. 
Um, and the, the author did a great work with it. And I, I've listened to some of her, her speeches before. Uh, she, she's a great presenter, and we're really looking forward to have her out, out here in Finley, March 29th. Yeah, that's the uh, featured event is uh, Sadiqa Johnson's uh, appearance in Finley, as you mentioned, on uh, March 29th. Uh, throughout the month, uh, going to be uh, doing uh, a lot of things and, and you know, to encourage folks to you know, read the book uh, in groups, discuss the topics in the book. Obviously, this is, uh, speaks to a lot of the, the hot-button topics uh, in, our, uh, in our society today. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, we are going to have um, six different book discussions happening throughout the month of March, um, all about Yellow Wife, um, so we can definitely get... get People reading that, and we've got plenty of copies here at the library for people to pick up and get a hold of and, and enjoy reading it. Um, but we're also going to have a lot of tied in uh, programs as well that uh, dig into the different aspects of the book. Um, we've got a couple of food programs dealing with uh, Southern food programs with the mm. um, OSU Extension Office. Um, and we're going to have a Spice World kit, uh, and we're going to give you some recipes for making sweet potato biscuits. Um, we're also having the Black Heritage Library come out and give us some information about the Underground Railroad happening here in Finley of what mm-hmm. what all happened there. And then we're it's uh, a little bit into April, but still tying in with the themes. Um, the founding dean for the University of Finley School of Pharmacy um, is going to do a presentation about medicine uh, of the Civil War period. Mm. Um, so it, it, it got a great slate of tie-in programs for people to come in and. and touch in on different parts of the, of the book that they've read. And that's one of the things that is really interesting about this book is because there are so many different layers here. Obviously, a, a story of uh, human resilience and, uh, you know, obviously the uh, all of the racial uh, issues that uh, are... are uh, brought to the fore in this uh, in this book, well, you said a very difficult time period in America's history. Is, is this a is this one of those that falls under the category of historical fiction, or is this based on a true story? Or it, it is, a, uh, and the author does address this a little bit at the very end of the book. Um, it is historical fiction, okay. so it, it is um, a a fictionalized story. Um, but the author does go on about how that she was in Virginia looking at the actual devil's half acre that was on the property uh, in, in Richmond mm-hmm. and how the, the wife of the jailer um, was, a, was a black woman um, that hmm. once the jailer passed, one after slavery ended, that they, she got pro- control of the, of the property and hmm. they transitioned it to a, a, a college and a wow. place of, of learning and growth. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting story of, of the real aspect of yeah. the books that are tied into it. Yeah. Um, but, but layered over with a interesting fictional story. Yeah. So the, the actual story of the book may not have uh, necessarily happened, but there's a lot of truth in uh, a lot of real events, uh, that, uh, make up the, the story. It's, it makes it uh, all the more powerful. Now, uh, as is typical for the uh, community read program, the featured book is a uh, is one uh, obviously for adults and uh, and perhaps older teens. But you do have uh, a number of youth read titles that uh, touch on many of the same themes at an age appropriate level. That's correct. Yes, we do have. Um, we've got. A- Four different uh, different age appropriate 
stories that tie in with the different themes for youth read. Um, we've got um, one for pre-K to two, grades three to five, six to eight, and then we do have a teen um, nine to 12, 12 grade level mm-hmm. um, book as well uh, this year um, that, that we've got plenty of copies of those here at the library also, all, di- all pulling on different aspects of pulling out the themes from Yellow Wife that might be appro- of connected mm-hmm. to these stories that might be more age-appropriate, that you can still have these conversations even with your children um, or bring them up in school if needed, and here's, here's how we can address these different things uh, as they're happening. And that is the, the goal, is always uh, the, the goal uh, of Community Read is to prompt uh, some discussion uh, about issues that uh, impact all of us on uh, some level and maybe uh, foster some uh, a greater understanding of uh, others and their experience. That's right, yes. It's, it's, it's a great opportunity to just embrace literacy and, and reading and learning in general. Um, and we, we definitely try and do that as best we can here with, with at the library. We, we love our books, as yeah. we know plenty of people in our community do, too. Um, so we're, we're always happy to, to highlight something, something that stands out and bring that author in to, to, get, to give us a little look under the hood of, of what their process was. So, so we encourage uh, the entire community through the month of March to uh, read The Yellow Wife uh, and... Like we said, you've got a number of uh, programs, book discussions, and so on uh, that are on the schedule through the month of March, and it culminates uh, on March 29th with uh, author Sadiqa Johnson uh, uh, for a a presentation at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts, and uh, tickets are available uh, for that right now. We've got a link up uh, to more information uh, on the the Community Read program, and you've got uh, more details on all of the associated events and uh, book discussions and so on on the website as well right that is correct yep on our website we've got all the information you can need okay we've got it uh, linked up at goodmornings.net so check that out joel manti again adult services manager the finley hancock county public library with information on community read in the month of march the book yellow wife by steve johnson uh joel thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it thank you so much chris have a great day And that will finish up our podcast for today. Once again, thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program today. And if you want more information about any or all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show, just head to our webpage, goodmornings.net is our little corner of the World Wide Web. You can also connect with us on social media, sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. It's all at goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.